This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is messages of love, both receiving them and giving them. In the first half, we'll hear from Elder Patrick Kieran from his 2012 BYU devotional address, Messages of Love. Then in the second half, a message of loving outreach in his April 2016 LDS General Conference address, Refuge from the Storm. Elder Patrick Karen is our devotional speaker this morning. He was sustained as a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy in April 2010. Elder Karen was educated in the Middle East and the United Kingdom. He has lived and worked in the United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, and the United States in various industries. His civic and community involvement includes service on the boards of a charity, a school, an enterprise agency, and a college. Since joining the Church on Christmas Eve 1987, Elder Karen has served in numerous Church callings, including Assistant Ward Clerk, Ward Young Men's President, Bishop's Counselor, Branch President, Stake President, and Area 70. Elder Karen was born in Carlisle, Cumberland, England. He and his wife, Jennifer Carolume, are the parents of four children, one of whom is deceased. And now we'll have the opportunity of hearing from our friend, Elder Patrick Karen. Happy Valentine's Day. This is a day when we celebrate love. We think of love letters and hearts, roses and chocolate, and many hope today to receive a message from one they love, and some are planning to deliver a message to one they love. I hope you won't be disappointed. My parents loved me dearly. Of that, I had no doubt. But when I was 10 years old, I had to attend boarding school in England while my parents continued to live thousands of miles away in Saudi Arabia. The separation was an enormous wrench for me. On the long flight to England, I remember feeling queasy in the pit of my stomach as I left behind the heat and sunshine of Arabia and flew across the miles and descended through the multiple layers of cloud into the cold, gray scene of London's Heathrow Airport. The rain droplets on the airplane window shot past, and I felt so very, very far from home as I arrived at the school in my uniform of gray shorts, sweater, tie, and cap, pulling my great green trunk of belongings behind me. The loneliness was, in fact, overwhelming. I slept in a dormitory of about 15 other boys. It was a very foreign experience, complete with rickety metal frame beds and the occasional pillow fight. Every morning, after making our beds, we boys would stand aside while our bed-making skills and hospital corners were graded. There were unfamiliar smells, unfamiliar foods, and very unfamiliar teachers. My Latin master would walk around the room and peck the heads with the tip of his ballpoint pen if we didn't know an answer, and I was very well pecked. Out on the fields during our sports time and on a rare clear day, if a plane was flying high overhead, leaving a vapor trail, I would study its course to see if that plane might be heading back to Arabia and feeling a deep pang if it was. I longed somehow to jump aboard and go back home to my parents. The brightest spot in any week came during breakfast time when mail was delivered. I would look anxiously for the telltale blue airmail letter that my mother sent faithfully every week. As the teachers came around the tables with letters to hand out, 
I would literally be on the edge of my bench waiting to see if one was for me. In so many senses, this was Hogwarts. (laughs) But without the owls and with none of that magic. Those blue airmail letters were often the highlight of my week, particularly in the early days when my loneliness was most acute. I would receive those letters from home with such happiness and relief. I I would wait until I could be alone to carefully unseal them and then eagerly read the messages of love, reassurance, and advice from my parents. I savored every line and felt, for those moments, closer to home and closer to my parents' love and received the courage that I needed to continue for another week. There is much in the natural course of mortal life that can make us feel alone and afraid, even while we are surrounded by people, as I was at boarding school. And we all feel far from home at times. In fact, most of you are far from home while you're here at BYU. Perhaps this relatively new and painful experience for you, and you are still finding it hard to adjust. Homesickness may continue to gnaw at you. For others, maybe you've been away from home for several semesters or even several years, and you're accustomed to it. And indeed, for some, perhaps being away from a situation where you dealt with negative influences and difficult relationships has been a good thing and has given you a chance to begin to become the person you know you can be. We don't send those blue airmail letters much anymore to keep in touch with home. Email and cell phones, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter have replaced old-fashioned letter writing. But messages from home, messages of love and reassurance and guidance, however they arrive at your door and your inbox, can have a powerful influence to steady you along your journey while you are away from home. They remind you that you are loved and cherished. Letters, cards, texts, and emails, and phone calls from mum and dad, brothers and sisters, grandparents, relatives, and friends go a long way to help us when we face challenges and adversity far from the comforts of home. I still gain strength and comfort from a phone call home to my mother in England. She's now 90 years old. Of course, in so many ways, we are all far from home. The metaphor here with our eternal home is clear. We know we were blessed to be in the presence of our Father in Heaven and our Savior, and many of the noble and great ones in our pre-mortal existence. We know we received our first lessons from them and had many opportunities to choose good or evil and exercise exceedingly great faith. We know we are here on earth to be proven to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord our God shall command us. Do you ever feel homesick and long for your eternal home and for the love and affirmation and pure truth and light we know exist there? Don't our spirits yearn to be where they know they belong best, there in the presence of Father, encircled about eternally in the arms of his love? Our Eternal Father has not let any of us leave home, leave his presence, without the opportunity to access his love and his guidance every day of our lives. President Aring 
assures us, the Father offers us, through prayer, in the name of his Son, the opportunity to commune with him in this life as often as we choose. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we doubt this. Sometimes we cut ourselves off from it. But he has endowed us all with the light of Christ to enable us to judge right from wrong, to determine light from darkness and truth from error. As we repeatedly respond to the light of Christ and train ourselves to lay hold upon every good thing, we increase our sensitivity to the things of the Spirit and enhance our ability to receive the messages coming to us from our eternal home. As often as we sincerely seek and are worthy to receive, our Father in heaven communicates with us through revelation messages that come to us in the reflective moments of prayer through the words and enlightenment of the scriptures, from the teachings of the prophets, or in the peaceful melodies of heavenly music. His messages are often quiet, and we all know that we can miss them if we're not ready to receive. In fact, it is often because we are so busy receiving other messages that we impair our ability to receive the much-needed messages from our eternal home. We now live in a world where messages surround us, even bombard us. Our smartphones and computers, our tablets, and are constantly buzzing and beeping and vibrating with every new text, social update, email, and photograph. It really is instant and insistent messaging. This extraordinary technology can, of course, do enormous good. One example of that is how the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be shared, streamed, and received through every kind of handheld device. But we must be selective in the messages we choose to receive. And it is vital to our spiritual well-being that we do not consume so much of our time receiving good messages, even better messages, that we make ourselves unavailable to receive the best. Just as I could not will one of those blue airmail letters from my mother to appear every morning at breakfast time, we cannot force messages from our eternal home. The Lord decides when and how and what to communicate with us. It is true that everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. But we must remember and take heart in the fact that it shall be in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. We cannot demand the messages of the Lord. We must wait upon him. But even as we wait upon him, we continue to pursue him and to persist in our petitions. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, Revelation is not a matter of pushing buttons, but of pushing ourselves, often aided by fasting, scripture study, and personal pondering. Revelation requires us to have a sufficient degree of personal righteousness so that on occasion, revelation may come to the righteous unsolicited. Quote. There have been reminders recently of the golden age of manned spaceflight, particularly the Apollo missions to the moon in the 1960s. These were incredible feats of science and engineering. 
The crew was the brightest and most able of their class, launched into space atop the Saturn V rocket, still the most powerful machine ever made by man. Before they could land on the moon, however, their spacecraft had to be slowed to enter a lunar orbit. This meant doing something that, as with so much of this endeavor, had never been done before, and that was to travel around the far side of the moon, or so-called dark side of the moon. All the way there, the crew had been able to be in constant radio contact with mission control in Houston. But when it came time for them to go around the far side of the moon, communication would be lost, as the moon would quite literally be between the spacecraft and the Earth. All of the science, all of the engineering, all of the collective intelligence of the most gifted and dedicated practitioners of that brown-breaking endeavor had not been able to come up with a way for them to communicate while they were around the dark side of the moon. So... For 45 agonizing minutes, all communication was lost with the crew. All they could do at Mission Control in Houston was wait and hope, wait and pray, as each of those 45 minutes ticked tensely by. What if a problem arose and there were a malfunction of some kind? How would Mission Control know and how could they possibly help? Well, that spacecraft did emerge from around the far side of the moon. The radio signal was reacquired and mission control must have erupted with shouts of relief and joy as the safety of the crew was confirmed. And so it can so easily be for us. We can be, like those astronauts, astonishingly bright, capable and gifted and in our own ways shooting for the moon. We can have had the most extraordinary learning experiences and been given remarkable opportunities for growth in our lives. Perhaps we have received exceptional teaching and training from parents, teachers, mission presidents, leaders, and we have come far and learned much. We will have caught glimpses of our eternal potential, of our mission here on earth in this mortal phase of our existence. But in order to continue our progression on the course the Lord would have us set and return safely back to our eternal home, we must remain in constant communication with him. If we place barriers between ourselves and the source of that critical communication, revelation from our Heavenly Father, we will be unable to receive the messages of guidance we need from him. Problems will arise and malfunctions occur as mortal life take their, no their natural course. When they do, will we find that we have cut ourselves off from the one true source of our guidance and direction? On this Valentine's Day, let us examine the condition of our hearts and how we are doing in receiving the messages of love, guidance, correction, revelation from our Father, the great God and creator of this universe. What barriers do we put between ourselves and the Lord? Do we sometimes figuratively place ourselves on the dark side of the moon where we cannot hear mission control? There are many conditions of our hearts that may affect our ability to tune in and receive the messages of our Heavenly Father. 
I will touch upon three. One, our hearts may be burdened by the cares of daily life and the clamor of the world. Two, our hearts may be hardened by sin and unworthiness. Three, our hearts may be malnourished by a poor digital diet. First, our hearts may be burdened by the cares of daily life and the clamor of the world. We may not mean to do it. We may not even know we are doing it. But occasionally, we can put ourselves around the dark side of the moon when our hearts become overburdened by the worries, pressures, irritations, and deadlines of daily life. We may not be facing anything all that unusual or experiencing a particularly stretching challenge, but our hearts are blocked from the peace and comfort that the Lord would give us just because we are too troubled and too concerned. When we stay up too late and work too hard in order to meet the demands of our days, fatigue sets in. We become overtired, and then the world looks to us a much gloomier place. Things get out of perspective and are out of proportion. There are papers to write, exams to take, research to do, jobs to fulfill, maybe children to care for. There will be financial worries, family concerns, and questions of the soul over where to go next or what to do when this phase of life is complete. And on this day, how could I not make reference to the worries over dates or lack thereof? concerns over whether to become engaged or indeed the want for such an opportunity. You may not even realize just how much the noise and busyness of the world around you affects how you feel and alters your ability to hear and receive the messages your eternal Father has for you. When you are feeling overwhelmed and overburdened, it seems impossible to find a way or a time to slow down to find a quiet space and draw close to your Heavenly Father. Just the mere suggestion that you might carve out some time from your already overscheduled day increases the sense of pressure you feel. You may doubt that choosing to spend that segment of quiet time will actually yield enough benefit, and so is better spent getting on with something else. However, that's when problems arise and small glitches can turn into a major malfunction. President Packer teaches a vital truth with regard to our hearts being burdened by the cares and the clamor of daily life. He says, The Spirit does not get our attention by shouting or shaking us with a heavy hand. Rather, it whispers, it caresses so gently that if we are preoccupied, we may not feel it at all. Occasionally, it will press just firmly enough for us to pay heed. But most of the time, if we do not heed the gentle feeling, the Spirit will withdraw and wait until we come seeking and listening. Close quote. We must each find and then guard a time each and every day to remember these words of the Lord. All flesh is in mine hands. Be still and know that I am God. A segment of time when we, can, when we can be still, quiet, and removed from our busyness will help 
us to recenter, to refocus our priorities and bring us back into a position where we can receive and feel the messages our Heavenly Father wishes to send to us. Remember that if our hearts are preoccupied, we may not be able to feel Father's messages. His voice is not a harsh voice, neither is it a loud voice. Nevertheless, it being a small voice, it does pierce them that hear to the center, to the very soul, and does cause their hearts to burn. When we make ourselves ready and take the step of faith to put him first, at some point in our day, and why not first, we find peace even in the midst of an otherwise hectic schedule. But we must make the choice to make it happen by putting him first. Number two, our hearts may be hardened by sin or unworthiness. There can be no doubt that hearts carrying sin and unworthiness place barriers between themselves and God. Sometimes a heart can carry sin for so long that it becomes desensitized to spiritual things and becomes incapable of receiving and feeling the messages of the Lord. If there is something you carry in your heart today that is blocking you in any degree from truly connecting with your Heavenly Father, and feeling his love and his plan for you, resolve now to put it right. Let it go, give it up, or throw it out. Hearts become hardened by unworthiness, particularly when we continue to live as if that unworthiness is not actually there. This is compounded and complicated when we partake of the sacrament or partake participate in other ordinances as if our hearts were clean, when really they are not. Nephi teaches a beautiful truth when he says, The Lord God worketh not in darkness. He doeth nothing. In fact, he doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. In the spirit of that loving, tender reminder that he does nothing, save it be for our benefit, and that he laid down his life, that he might draw each of us unto him, the Savior himself says, Wherefore, I give unto them a commandment, saying thus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, might, mind, and strength, and in the name of Jesus Christ thou shalt serve him. What is holding you back from giving him your whole heart, your whole mind, and all your strength? Let your hearts feel the reality of Lehi's teaching about your perfectly loving and perfectly forgiving Savior. Behold, he offer himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He offered himself a sacrifice for you, and his suffering can answer the ends of the law for you. 
Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. Can we ever hear this promise too often? These scriptures and many others can bring you the strength and the determination to act, to change, to repent, and to offer up the Lord your broken heart and your contrite spirit. He offered up his life for you. You can offer back your heart. I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. Third, our hearts may be malnourished by a poor digital diet. We may be suffering in many aspects of our lives without fully recognizing it because of a poor digital diet. As with so much in life, what we consume is a choice. So don't be surprised that if you spend much of your time consuming one kind of message that you become affected and influenced by it. Spending too much, too much of our time with social media, celebrity or entertainment news, games and the pursuit of online time-hungry activities constitute a poor digital diet. When we choose to consume the attitudes and opinions of the mass media, we will find our own values and viewpoints following suit. And most of the time, we don't even realize it's happening. We tell ourselves we're not being affected by these messages, but that, it, but that is not possible. Elder Bednar posed these two questions. One, does the use of various technologies and media invite or impede the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost in your life? And two, does the time you spend using various technologies and media enlarge or restrict your capacity to live, to love, and to serve in meaningful ways? A lot of the time, we know that we need to change in our digital diet, but we don't do it. We say we're going to start tomorrow, and don't all diets start tomorrow. But there is little worth in saying that. The time to act is now. Otherwise, we're bound by our own behavior and lack of grit to change it. We also need to be aware that many of today's messages in the media can cause us to doubt our faith, compromise our convictions, and view the world through cynical eyes. But we can deflect deceptive messages with our faith intact if we are connected in a vibrant, continuous stream to the source of truth, to the source of light. If we have questions or doubts, we get our answers from the Father and Creator of this universe through the delicate and precious channels of revelation that operate when we remove all barriers to our hearts. We choose to look to God and live. I love what President Packer has taught when he said, We are not obedient because we are blind. We are obedient because we can see. I recently experienced a reminder to watch my own digital diet when I had been consumed with a particular strand of news stories one day. I had a sense that I had spent too much time on it, but it was only when later I picked up a book by Elder Oaks and read a few chapters that I became acutely aware of the contrast, 
The feelings that I experienced were night and day. The news that I had been, had been consumed with left me feeling unsettled and uneasy, whilst the book brought me peace and a sense of order and calm. This seems to be a lesson we need to learn several times over. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, Never mind if the world doesn't understand or even mocks this sacred process of revelation. Paul said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We believe that we are that we might have joy, and that means joy here and now, today, as well as in eternity. It's hard for us to feel joy, however, when we make choices that block the very messages that bring it to us. As you examine the condition of your heart and the barriers you may be putting in the way of your communication with God, you will know what you need to do. You will know what you need to change. I invite you to act now. Be bold in choosing to remove any obstruction to the sweet, comforting, guiding messages of love from your Father in heaven. The most important messages any of us could receive or carry is a reminder of who we are and how we are loved by our eternal Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. When the truth and reality of this message sink deep into our hearts, we cannot remain round the dark side of the moon. We are drawn back to them, back to their love, back to their light, and back to their arms. President Uchtdorf fervently declared, Brothers and sisters, the most powerful being in the universe is the father of your spirit. He knows you. He loves you with a perfect love. He wants you to know that you matter to him. Close quote. My witness to you today is that your eternal father in heaven is real. He lives and he loves you, adores you, and cherishes you, every single one of you, especially those of you who are thinking, well, not me. Especially those of you who may be thinking, well, not me. He especially loves you. Jesus Christ is his Son, his gift to us all, the Savior of all mankind. I conclude with the words of President Monson. Remember that one with authority placed his hands on your head at the time of your confirmation and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Open your hearts, even your very souls, to the sound of that special voice which testifies of truth. As the prophet Isaiah promised, thine eyes shall hear a word saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Messages of Love. We've just heard Elder Patrick Kieran's address by the same title. After the break, we'll be back with Elder Kieran's moving April 2016 General Conference address, Refuge from the Storm. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today's theme is Messages of Love. In the first half, we heard from Elder Patrick Kieran on that theme. Now we'll listen to his April 2016 LDS General Conference address, Refuge from the Storm. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. There are an estimated 60 million refugees in the world today, which means that one in every 122 humans has been forced to flee their homes, and half of these are children. It's shocking to consider the numbers involved and to reflect on what this means in each individual life. My current assignment is in Europe, where one and a quarter million of these refugees have arrived over the last year from war-torn parts of the Middle East and Africa. We see many of them coming with only the clothes they are wearing and what they can carry in one small bag. A large proportion of them are well-educated, and all have had to abandon homes, schools, and jobs. Under the direction of the First Presidency, the Church is working with 75 organizations in 17 European countries. These organizations range from large international institutions to small community initiatives, from government agencies to faith-based and secular charities. We're fortunate to partner with and learn from others who have been working with refugees around the world for many years. As members of the Church, as a people, we don't have to look back far in our history to reflect on times when we were refugees, violently driven from homes and farms over and over again. Last weekend, in speaking of refugees, Sister Linda Burton asked the women of the Church to consider what if their story were my story? Their story is our story not that many years ago. There are highly charged arguments in governments and across society regarding what is the definition of a refugee and what should be done to assist them. These thoughts are not intended in any way to form part of that heated discussion, nor to comment on anyone's immigration policy, but rather to focus on the people who have, had, who have been driven from their homes and their countries by wars that they had no hand in starting. The Saviour knows how it feels to be a refugee. He was one. As a child, Jesus and his family fled to Egypt to escape the murderous swords of Herod, 
and at various points in his ministry, he found himself threatened and his life in danger, ultimately submitting to the designs of evil men who had plotted his death. Perhaps then it is all the more remarkable to us that he repeatedly taught us to love one another, to love as he loves, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Truly pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to look to the poor and the needy and administer to their relief that they shall not suffer. It's been inspiring to witness what church members from around the world have generously donated to help these individuals and families who have lost so much. Across Europe specifically, I've seen members of the church who have experienced a joyful awakening and enriching of the soul as they have responded to that deep, innate desire to reach out and serve those in such extreme need around them. The church has provided shelter and medical care. Stakes and missions have assembled many thousands of hygiene kits. Other stakes have provided food, water, clothing, waterproof coats, bicycles, books, backpacks, reading glasses, and much more. Individuals from Scotland to Sicily have stepped in to every conceivable role. Doctors and nurses have volunteered their services at the point where refugees arrive soaked and chilled and often traumatized from their water crossings. As refugees begin the resettlement process, local members are helping them learn the language of their host country, while others are lifting the spirits of both children and parents by providing providing toys, art supplies, music and play. Some are taking donated yarn, knitting needles and crochet hooks and teaching these skills to local refugees, old and young. Seasoned members of the church who have given years of service and leadership attest to the fact that ministering to these people so immediately in need has provided the richest, most fulfilling experience in their service so far. The reality of these situations must be seen to be believed. In winter, I met, amongst many others, a pregnant woman from Syria in a refugee transit camp, desperately seeking assurance that she would not need to deliver her baby on the cold floor of the vast hall where she was housed. Back in Syria, she had been a university professor, and in Greece, I spoke with a family, still wet, shivering and frightened from their crossing in a small rubber boat from Turkey. After looking into their eyes and hearing their stories, both of the terror they had fled and of their perilous journey to find refuge, I will never be the same. Extending care and aid are a vast range of dedicated relief workers, many of them volunteers. I saw in action a member of the church who, for many months, worked through the night, providing for the most immediate needs of those arriving from Turkey into Greece. Among countless other endeavors, she administered first aid to those in most critical medical need. She saw that the women and children traveling alone were cared for. She held those who had been bereaved along the way and did her best to allocate limited resources to limitless need. 
She, as so many like her, has been a literal ministering angel whose deeds are not forgotten by those she cared for nor by the Lord on whose errand she was. All who have given of themselves to relieve the suffering around them are much like the people of Alma. And thus, in their prosperous circumstances, they did not send away any who were naked, or that were hungry, or that were athirst, or that were sick, or that had not been nourished. They were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons as to those who stood in need. We must be careful that the news of the refugees' plight does not become commonplace when the initial shock wears off and yet the wars continue and the families keep coming. Millions of refugees worldwide, whose stories no longer make the news, are still in desperate need of help. If you are asking, what can I do? Let us first remember that we should not serve at the expense of families and other responsibilities, nor should we expect our leaders to organize projects for us. But as youth, men, women, and families, we can join in this great humanitarian endeavor. In response to the invitation from the First Presidency to participate in Christ-like service to refugees worldwide, the General Presidencies of the Relief Society, Young Women and Primary have organized a relief effort entitled, I Was a Stranger. Sister Burton introduced this to the women of the Church last weekend in the General Women's Session. There are multiple helpful ideas, resources, and suggestions for service on iwasastranger.lds.org. Begin on your knees in prayer. Then think in terms of doing something close to home, in your own community, where you will find people who need help in adapting to their new circumstances. The ultimate aim in their, is their rehabilitation to an industrious and self-reliant life. The possibilities for us to lend a hand and be a friend are endless. You might help resettle refugees, learn their host country language, update their work skills, or practice job interviewing. You could offer to mentor a family or a single mother as they transition to an unfamiliar culture, even with something as simple as accompanying them to the grocery store or to school. Some wards and stakes have existing, trusted organizations to partner with, and according to your circumstances, you can give to the Church's extraordinary humanitarian effort. Additionally, each one of us can increase our awareness of world events that drive these families from their homes. We must take a stand against intolerance and advocate respect and understanding across cultures and traditions. Meeting refugee families and hearing their stories with your own ears and not from a screen or newspaper will change you. Real friendships will develop and will foster compassion and successful integration. The Lord has instructed us that the stakes of Zion are to be a defense and a refuge from the storm. We have found refuge. Let us come out from our safe places and share with them from our abundance hope 
for a brighter future, faith in God and in our fellow man, and love that sees beyond cultural and ideological differences to the glorious truth that we are all children of our Father in heaven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Being a refugee may be a defining moment in the lives of those who are refugees, but being a refugee does not define them. Like countless thousands before them, this will be a period, we hope a short period, in their lives. Some of them will go on to be Nobel laureates, public servants, physicians, scientists, musicians, artists, religious leaders, and and contributors in other fields. Indeed, many of them were these things before they lost everything. This moment does not define them, but our response will help define us. Verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Mountain, 1 Eastern, for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today's theme was Messages of Love, and we heard from Elder Patrick Kieran in his BYU devotional address, Messages of Love followed by his April 2016 LDS General Conference address, Refuge from the Storm. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.